was glad to have you. Uh, let's turn to uh, where we are in First Peter chapter two. We are looking at the uh, the wonderful doctrine behind the imperative commands to submit to the government and to one another and to uh, and to our employers and and to one another. So I just want to continue with this. We we started last week and I didn't really get a very well adjusted to the, uh, the difference in timing. Uh, but I uh, want to talk to you again about uh, uh, chapter two. Uh, verses 4 through 12. We we began last week talking about uh, Jesus Christ being the lively stone, and we talked about the, the, the beauty of that, that word uh, stone. It's different from the word Petra, and it's different from the word Petros. It is typically used as stone, and we said that Christ is the living stone. He's the, the planned stone. He is the unique stone uh, purposely uh, brought forth by the Father uh, to accomplish his unique purpose as the chief cornerstone, as a foundation stone. And we talked about him, reminded me of the verse in Daniel chapter 2, verse 45, that he is the stone cut out of the mountains without hands. So Jesus is the litho stone. He's the prepared, the perfectly prepared stone. And we talked about him being the living stone. Uh, and because he is a living stone, because we are in Christ, we are reunited with him in his death and his baptism, that we are too like him. We are little Christ. We are two living stones. We too have a, a unique purpose, and we talked about that in great detail. We talked about uh, uh, Christ as being the stone that the builders rejected, we talked about the attitude of the father toward his son, that he was elect, that he was precious, and that he was pleasing to the father in everything that he did. And uh, and so we stopped really on the fact that who we are in Christ, that we're a spiritual house. And we talked what that meant, that that word is a pneuma, pneuma, pneumocotus, and the word literally means we are a house that is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And we are a house uh, for the purpose of a habitation of of, of a divinity. And, and we talked about as a spiritual house, we have a specific function. And that function was to be a holy priesthood. And we talked about some of the, uh, the uniquenesses of being a priest. And we really focused on the two uh, that we uh, get to participate in, that we get to approach the Father uh, directly without access of other priests, without access, access to a confessional, that we can boldly approach the throne of grace because our high priest has gone before us, Jesus Christ. And then we talked about our specific role as being priests for others and that we can petition and supplant the Father on the behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's our privilege and it's our duty. So we talked about that. I think we finished on this topic of, uh, of, uh, we, uh, spiritual sacrifices. Let's look at the text again. I'm going to look at it, uh, four through 12. Let me read it again real quick. Coming to him as to a living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also living stones, you're being built up a spiritual house 
a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Christ. Therefore, it is contained in the scripture, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he's precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of defense, of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and to his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from lusts which war against your soul and have a honorable conduct among the Gentiles, that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation, the day of God's judgment. So I just want to start again on, on what we said spiritual sacrifices were. We are a holy priesthood, and we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Remember the definition that I quoted from MacArthur. Does everybody have that definition? It was The definition was, again, God-honoring works done through and because of Jesus Christ under direction of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of God's Word, the Word of God. So we defined the spiritual sacrifices, and we said that there was uh, specific spiritual sacrifices listed in Scripture, that we have this awesome responsibility and is indeed, indeed our uh, our uh, responsibility and privilege to do. And we said one sacrifice was uh, Romans 12.1. So if you'll look at Romans 12.1, this is uh, our function as priests. We are to offer up spiritual sacrificing, God-honoring works through Christ as the Spirit leads us in, in cooperation with the Word of God. So we see the first thing that we talked about and we, so I think we just sort of listed these last week. Uh, the first one is uh, Romans 12.1, and that is our body is a living sacrifice. So one sacrifice we offer is our body. And, and you know the verse, uh, Paul beseeching the church at Rome, the Romans, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice which is your reasonable act of worship. So one of the things uh, that we offer to God as high priests, uh, as living stones, uh, part of the functions that we have as, uh, as priests is we offer our bodies. Uh, scripture tells us that uh, our bodies are not our own. Uh, scripture tells us that they are inhabited by the Holy Spirit. And so we are to be holy in all of our conduct. We are to be separate. We're to come out from among unclean living and unclean people. And so our bodies should be living sacrifices. Uh, we should understand that we are bought with the precious blood of Christ. And uh, so our bodies themselves, as we die to ourselves, 
And as we don't yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness, as we walk in the spirit, and as we do not give heed to our flesh, these are just some of the sacrifices of our body, that they're vessels into honor, and they're vessels purposed in glorifying Christ. That's why we were put here on this planet. As the Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism says, uh, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So we as a as priests, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, Romans 12, 1. Uh, secondly, uh, a sacrifice that we offer to him that is acceptable to him, that means that it, it meets uh, his requirements, it pleases him, it's a, use the metaphor, he uses it in Revelation and other places that our, our sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices are a sweet aroma to him. They're acceptable, they're pleasing to him, they satisfy his needs to be glorified uh, and to be praised. And so what we do, one of the things is that we praise him. Turn to Hebrews uh, 13, 15, there's going to be a listing of two or three here. Uh, Hebrews 13:15, a spiritual sacrifice that we offer to the Father uh, by the Spirit uh, because of the Son uh, by the Word of God is 13:15 Hebrews. Uh, Therefore, by Him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips. We're to praise him every day. We are to praise him because he has put that praise on our lips because of the work of his spirit in our lives. It is a fruit of the spirit praise, and we're to offer praise continually. You know, I found in my life that uh, when I am praising God, that's when I'm at my best. That's when I'm pleasing God the most. And uh, when I get down in my pity party, when I have my Elijah complex moment, when I look at the, the waves, when I look at the protests, when I look at the, the chaos that seems to be in this world, uh, I find that praising God is, a, is the deterrent to wrong thinking. And I just want to encourage you guys... Uh, uh, to praise the Lord. Uh, you know, today, if some of you know that follow, uh, some of the, uh, uh, some of the writings that are out there today is the first day of the solstice, the summer solstice, and this is a day that, uh, some people, Luciferians, are worshiping Satan. They're setting up sacrifices to him in various cities, and it's, it, the play, the world is getting darker. And, uh, and, uh, and we are not to focus on that darkness, but we're to focus on Christ and we're to praise him knowing that he is sovereign over these things. And uh, he has told us that, that wickedness would abound more and more. Hearts would become more and more cold. Lawlessness would prevail. And, uh, and we need to focus on him. And we need to focus on his provision, his promises and we're not to focus on what the uh, world system is doing and the, and the prince of the power of this air is doing. He's defeated. And as Terry always says, all that's left is a cleanup. Right, Terry? And so uh, we understand that we need to praise him from, from fruitful Holy Spirit blessed lips. 
Uh, next thing we see, it's still in uh, in Hebrews thirteen sixteen, uh, that we need to verse sixteen. Do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifice, God is well pleased. So we we sacrifice our bodies. We offer sacrifices of praise. We offer sacrifice of works. Now these works. Uh, or not, uh, do not, uh, in any way contribute to our salvation. Uh, as priests, uh, our works do not save us, but they are the evidence of what Christ has wrought in our hearts. And so these works have been foreordained that we do before the foundation of the world, whereas workmanship, scripture tells us, and we're to maintain good works, Titus, three or four places. Ephesians 2.10, so one of the sacrifices that are pleasing to him is good works and sharing, is to give cheerfully and to give uh, faithfully and to give out of a willing heart uh, for our brothers and sisters, not to, to, uh, uh, not to uh, shut up compassion within ourselves, but to freely give as we've been forgiven. Another sacrifice of course, is uh, bringing people to Christ. And as we get into this later, we're going to see uh, the purpose for, for for why we've been chosen and why we're holy and set apart. Uh, it's to proclaim the praises of him. So uh, one of these sacrifices uh, that's spiritual that we are to offer to him is, is sharing a witness to Christ. If you look at Romans uh, 15, uh, 16, the Apostle Paul, again, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's, 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 uh, joining, uh, the, the privilege of, of sharing the gospel, uh, with the fact that it is a spiritual sacrifice. You see this in Romans 15, 16, as he closes his, his epistle. He says that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel, of God that the offering that's the spiritual sacrifice of the Gentiles might be accepted sanctified by the Holy Spirit so as Paul shares the gospel which is a spiritual sacrifice he is hoping to benefit from the Gentiles conversion and then they in turn offer offer spiritual sacrifices to God as a consequence of God saving them uh, obviously, we see that another sacrifice is is uh, giving up our desires for the good of others. I think this is a very important one, uh, giving up our desires for the good of others. We see that demonstrated, of course, by Jesus in the great uh, humiliation in, in, in uh, Philippians chapter 2. But I think we see it uh, even more clearly in Ephesians 5, 2. As we sacrifice our, ourselves for others, uh, as we imitate Christ, look at Ephesians 5.2. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So as Christ uh, humbled himself, as he became a suffering servant, uh, for us, as he voluntarily laid aside his attributes out of love, we too are to make these sacrifices for others for the glory of Christ. Another way in which we uh, sacrifice to God is through prayer. And uh, uh, 
and and we see that as a Roman of God in the Revelation verse eight three, as we see all of us standing before the throne of God, and in the uh, and the angel opens up the incense, and the Scripture says that the incense is the prayer of the saints, and the prayer of the saints that have been uh, kept in God's bottle, so to speak, in a, in Psalms fifty six three, I believe. Uh, they become a sweet selling, uh, sweet smelling aroma to him, pleasing to him, and they have a, an effect of being fulfilled as God uh, finishes his program with earth, as we see in the Revelation. Uh, and then lastly, it's just another, another dovetail of spiritual sacrifices, and that's just giving our possessions. And so we see that in Philippians uh, 4.18. So, as we see these spiritual sacrifices that are offered up to us as we function as high priests, uh, now I want us to get to, uh, in this text, we see many contrasts between the believer and the unbeliever. As we read through this, we see that, that uh, we are accepted and they are rejected. Uh, we are accepted by grace through faith. And they are rejected because they do not believe. And uh, scripture tells us uh, in this context, he's talking about the contrast between believers and unbelievers. He's talking about unbelieving Jews and believing Gentiles. He says something very startling. He says that the stone, Jesus Christ, becomes a stone of offense. And we know from Romans uh, that it becomes a stone of offense because... The Jew did not apprehend Christ by faith, but they apprehended him and they thought the way to approach him to find good standing before him was through work salvation. And so they believed that Judaism, they believed that works would make them to find favor in the eyes of God. And and of course, uh, it didn't because they were unable to fulfill the law. They were sinners like we were, and so they were na- not able to be reconciled to God through works. And so scripture tells us in Romans 9:33 they stumbled because of unbelief, and they didn't approach Christ by faith. And so we see that they stumble. Uh, we see that their sacrifices, the unbelievers, the Jew and Gentiles, their sacrifices are not acceptable. They're not pleasing to God because they're not offered uh, in faith. Uh, and then we see this. I uh, just wanted to spend just one second on uh, the end of verse 8. As we see this contrast between believers and unbelievers, uh, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble, they're disobedient to the word, to which they were appointed. Uh, in this context, uh, this means, uh, uh, this simply means that there is a appointed consequence to disobedience, and that, that appointed consequence is separation from God. MacArthur said, uh, they were appointed to doom because of their disobedience. The judgment of unbelief is as divinely appointed as salvation by faith. So the nation of Israel who stumbled at Jesus Christ because they approached him not by faith but by works, 
They were appointed to this consequence of disobedience as, as, as we are divinely appointed to salvation. So there is a specific consequence of disobedience that has been pre-appointed by God, and that is the primary meaning of this text. And so there are other meanings. Uh, for time's sake, I really don't want to uh, don't spend a lot of time on it because we got some blessed uh, text to read. But you remember we've always talked about uh, human responsibility and the sovereignty of God. Uh, Spurgeon said that these are two strains that run parallel to each other, and we may never see them intersect. Uh, scripture is very clear that it teaches human responsibility, and it teaches the sovereignty of God. They're both true. So as MacArthur says, that these are just uh, uh, appointments uh, because of disobedience. Folks like John, uh, John Calvin would say that this, this, this phrase, they were appointed, uh, he would say, and many others in the Reformed faith would say that, that they are been appointed by God to, uh, to disbelief. So, uh, we could spend a lot of time on that. Uh, people have been arguing about that for 2,000 years. And, uh, uh, but, uh, the primary context is that, is that they were appointed to unbelief because of the appointed consequences of disobedience. And we'll leave it at there. And I say, good, huh? Going to discuss that this morning. Now let's, uh, you talk about an encouragement, encouraging thing. I want to look at verse nine. Peter, by the Holy Spirit, tells us that there, we now as a corporate entity, as a, as the body of Christ, we have four new corporate identities. Four new. In verse 9 it says, but you, in contrast to the unbelieving Jew, in contrast to the unbelieving Gentiles, you, as a body of Christ, as living stones, as holy priests, as as spiritual houses and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, you guys on Zoom with me today, you are number one, you are a chosen people. Verse nine, but you are a chosen people. And we understand that uh, uh, Peter loves the word elect. He loves the word chosen. He uses it in chapter 1, verse 2. If you look at chapter 1, verse 2, he says, You are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Holy Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. He loves the word elect, chosen. He uses it again in uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 4, as he's talking about Christ is chosen by God to be the chief cornerstone. We see that in chapter 2, verse 4, uh, uh, as Christ is the chosen living stone, and we are also chosen living stones. Uh, so the word chosen just simply means chosen by God, and uh, and we understand from Scripture that he is really focusing on the nation of Israel's uh, primary task when they were chosen by God. Look at Isaiah 43, 20. 
We know that the people of Israel were were not many in number, but they were chosen because God chose to love them, and he chose them. And we know that from Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8, and we've read that many times. But what Peter is referring to uh, is he as he talks to the nation of Israel, he talks to the unbelieving Jews and to the believing Jews, to the uh, saved Gentiles and the un, and the unsaved Gentiles. Look, he's really referring to this verse, Isaiah forty three twenty. Uh, the beast of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give water to them in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen, this people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. So as, as, as Peter uh, tells us our corporate identity in Christ, he is going back to Israel's identity in God the Father as he's chosen them. And he chose them to be a people to praise him. And through the nation of Israel, he he planned that the whole world would be saved. But we know that Israel rejected the Messiah. They rejected their calling. They were disobedient to him. And so now uh, he has chosen a, a church, the body of Christ, not to replace the nation of Israel. Uh, the nation of Israel will one day uh, fulfill the promises given to them by the Father, and they will be saved. Uh, scripture tells us, and, and Terry will get to that one day in Romans 11, so all Israel will be saved. There will be a day when God pours out his fountain of mercy on the nation of Israel, and he again grafts them into their natural place. But uh, until then, we are the church, and until then, we have been chosen by God not to replace the nation of Israel, but to provoke them to jealousy, it tells us in, in Romans 11. And so we are poo part of one body. We are part of the community of believers that apprehend Christ by faith. So we're chosen people. I love what one of my commentators said. He said, he said, uh, this, this choosing of God is an divine, a divine initiative that has made Christians a distinct people with no longer, who no longer belong to the world. It removes all the boasting and yet establishes a dignity of heredity that enables the chosen one to point to God as the father of his race. So we see that God The Father, according to the good pleasure of his will, before the foundation of the world, chose the people unto himself. And we are part of that community of believers because it pleased him to do so. Before we'd done good or bad, he foreknew us and he predestined us. And then he's going to, he justifies us. He's going to, and then he's called us, and then he's justified us, and then he, one day he's going to glorify us. So we see that we're chosen by God, and uh, I love this, what it says. People, we are designated as a people of common heritage, and we share the unity of a common life. We are, we have a commonness, we have a quantity of fellowship because we are bought with the blood of Christ, and we are united with him in death, and we fellowship with one another as we have been brought out of this darkness into his light. So we see 
We are a chosen people. Does that excite you? We're a chosen people. Amen. We cannot lose our salvation. And, uh, and he is going to hold on to us. We are sheep that cannot be lost. We are sheep that cannot be plucked out of his hand. So look at the world, praise the Lord, and say, chosen by God. Second thing you see, royal priesthood. You know, we've talked about priests last week. The thing that's different about this phrasing, last week we were called a holy priesthood. Remember verse 5? Scripture says we are a holy priesthood. This time Peter, what he does is he changes this adjective from from a holy, a set-apart nation of priests to now we are a royal priesthood, and that is a and that is a adjective that gives further description to our role as priests, and it simply means that we represent the king uh, as royalty. We represent the king, and we are to take the king's message to men, and by taking the king's message to men. We reveal the righteousness of Christ in our own holy set-apart lives, and that honors the King of Kings. So when it says we are of the royal priesthood, you know, uh, uh, for time's sake, you know, the Old Testament there were priests. The priests all had to come out of the tribe of Levi, okay? We understand that. But it says that we are priests, and this word royal priest emphasizes that we're not only priests, but we're also going to be kings. And so, as Christ is a prophet, a priest, and a king, and he will fulfill his role as king in the millennium when he rules and reigns from Jerusalem as king in a theocracy over the whole world, Scripture tells us that we not only are priests now, but we one day will have the function of being kings when we will rule and reign with him on his throne and we will have this privilege of being his ambassadors and we will be representing the king as we bring men to the king. And so we see this royal priesthood is a is a now message for us and a now responsibility, but it also points to a future responsibility when we will rule and reign with Christ. And we see that in many verses. Specifically, we see this in the, uh, in the Revelation. So if you'll turn with me to Revelation uh, 1-6. 1-6. Royal priests. We're going to have this privilege and awesome responsibility as we rule and reign with Christ in our glorified bodies for a thousand years from Jerusalem. Look at uh, Revelation 1.6. Speaking of Christ, Christ has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory. So he has made us kings and priests. Speaks to our future role. Look at 510 of the Revelation. 510 of the Revelation is our role as kings and priests. Again, we're praising the Lord. We're giving glory to the Lamb in glory in heaven. 
And uh, look what we say as we worship Jesus Christ. 510, the revelation. And he, Christ, has made us kings and priests to our gods, and we shall reign with him on the earth. So we take that literally, and we understand that we're going to have a role as not only priests now, but priests later, and not only priests now and priests later, but kings as we represent God and we're ambassadors for him in this glorious place in heaven. So we see that. Thirdly, not only are we a chosen people, but we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are an ethnos hagion in the Greek. And we, as a corporate entity, the body of Christ, should be uniquely distinct from everybody else. We are a community held together by Christ, by his faith. And so remember what we read in, 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 in 1 Peter 1, 15, 16. He who called you is holy, so you too should be holy. Because God is separate and because he's uniquely different from all who ever come before him, we as his people, chosen by him, priests to him, we should be different. And there should be no characterized sin in our life. We should not be known by uh, what we do, but we should be known by who we are in Christ. We should be holy, separate, set-apart people, lives characterized by holiness. And... Uh, Terry had mentioned this two, three or four weeks ago now that uh, it really means that we should walk worthy uh, of the vocation that we're called. Remember, he uh, preached on this three or four weeks ago. If you'll turn to Ephesians 4, because we are a holy people, we're to act differently and live differently. And uh, uh, remember what it said in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. We're prisoners of the Lord. Paul says, I beg you to walk worthy. That's what it means to be holy, of the calling for which you were called, with lowliness and gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, keeping the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. For there's one body and there's one Spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all and through all, and in all of us. Chew on that for a while. So we are a, a holy people, holy nation, and we are to set our minds on him, not the things of this world, and we're to behave as Christians. If you want to look at that later, uh, Romans 12 tells us uh, how we're supposed to live, behave as Christians. Uh, and then the fourth unique uh, entity and, and identity we have in Christ, we are his own special people. That means we are a private possession. We are, we exist, the, our existence lies in the fact that we are possessed by God, bought with the precious blood of Christ. We're not our own. So it said, one commentator says, God has acted to make us his own possession. We've been acquired by him and we are treasured by him as a private possession. 
So uh, when you get down in the dauber today, when you fall into a little despair, remember that you are a private possession of the Father, and you are a prized possession of the Father, bought with his own Son, and you are loved. Remember that today, that you are a special people bought by the precious blood of Christ. So why is all this? Why are we chosen, peculiar, special, a holy nation? Why? Here's the uh, the purpose clause of all this. If you look at this, why? Look at this in verse 9b. Why? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people of God, but now and had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. So we are new in Christ as new corporate identities that you may proclaim. This is a indicative command. The word proclaim is a beautiful word. We are who we are in Christ because of this reason that you may proclaim. That word proclaim means uh, advertise. Can you believe it? The word means advertise. The word means to tell out. The word means to make others, to make Christ widely known. It occurs only one time in the scripture, and it means to make widely known what was previously unknown. We know that the gospel has been a mystery for 2,000 years, for 4,000 years, but now we as Christ's ambassadors, we are saved and we are uniquely possessed by God the Father and through the Son in the Spirit to proclaim, to advertise to other people who God is. And uh, it is verbal, and it is bold, and it is an addition to a godly life. Godly lives are important. We can do that quietly and silently, but that is not the specific reason. We are called to shout it out loudly and to proclaim who God is, who Christ is, how we can be reconciled to the Father through Christ. And so we are saved that we proclaim, we advertise. It is, it is a message to those on the outside what has occurred to us on the inside. That is, that is making disciples of all nations. That's because we've been given authority. We've been given the responsibility and the privilege to proclaim. What do we proclaim? We proclaim the praises of him. That word means the virtues of him. We speak out loudly. We advertise to the lost world the virtues. It literally means the attributes of Christ's nature. So we go into a lost and dying world, a world filled with chaos, hate, and confusion, ethnic group against ethnic group. Our message is we advertise 
the nature and attributes of Christ. We, we tell about his excellencies. We tell about his wonderful deeds. We tell about his triumphs. We tell about the hope offered in him. We tell about the forgiveness of sin. We talk about his substitutionary work. That's what we are to proclaim, and that's why we were put on this planet, to proclaim the nature, the attributes of him. And if that wasn't enough, my gosh, it's already almost 10 o'clock. If that wasn't enough, we see this prepositional phrase, who called us out of darkness. It reiterates why of the message. It reiterates how we got to this point. He, Christ, has called us out of darkness. We used to be children of disobedience. We used to be haters of what is good. We used to be dead in trespasses and sin. He has called us out of our old condition out of our old nature, and he's made us new. So he brought us out of where we used to be, and he's brought us into what? His marvelous light. He's brought us into purity. He's brought us into holiness. He's called us into the very nature of God. And it is a wonderful thing, marvelous. It's wonderful, uh, the effect that being in Christ has on each one of us. And we have been made to be partakers of his holiness. And so we are, we are set forth to proclaim his praises because he's called us out of darkness into his light. We had once not obtained mercy, but now we've obtained mercy. I want you to chew on this this week. You've been mercied. That phrase, you've now obtained mercy, is in the aorist tense. We have been the passive recipients of his mercy. We weren't seeking his mercy. So when you think about this week, when everything that goes on, you think to yourself, I've been mercied. God has chosen to have mercy on me. And because he has, because I've been mercied, I have been brought out of darkness into his light. I have been mercied so that I may proclaim the praises of him. And I've been mercied, and so I have been mercied, and so I am holy. I am a people of God. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a chosen people. So, uh, whew. That's who we call in Christ. (laughs) Think about this week. You've been mercied. You've been mercied, and so I hope that encourages you today that you've been mercied, and I hope it it uh, it uh, creates in you a praise as you go to worship in an hour. I hope to see you there. I hope you remembered as you sing and as you pray and as you listen to Terry preach. Have this in the back of your mind. No, not the back of your mind, the forefront of your mind. I've been mercied. And God has been good to me, and he's faithful to me, and I'm a thankful, praising person because I've been mercy. I've been mercy. Don? Don Anybody Don, have any comments? Yes. Yes. Don? Yes. Uh, we're going to be blessed 
today. PK and Michael are coming to church with us with the intent of transferring to our moving to that our our church. And it, really? it's such a blessing to our heart. And I uh, just yeah, we don't know how it's gonna work out, but we know God does. So we we're, we're just thankful and we're gonna take what we get today and uh, go forth with that then, okay? Are they gonna be with you in the uh Separate in the uh, sanctuary? No, we're going to be in a ministry building. I had, oh, beautiful. I had there, yeah. Well, I look forward to you introducing me to them. Okay. Good. You've been mercied. I'm glad for that, and I hope they will be mercied too today. Good. Anybody else? Comments or questions? I know this was rushed. You don't have time to think or respond. And uh, one day we're going to have more time. And... Uh, I hope that'll be very soon. Anybody have any comments about who you are in Christ, why you were put on this planet? Proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness, and you have been mercy today. You've been mercy. Live like it. Let me pray. Father, what can I say? Thank you for mercy in us. Thank you for bringing us out of darkness. Thank you for choosing us to be your peculiar people that you've set us apart. One day, we're going to be actually ambassadors for the king as we rule and reign with you. Hard to imagine. Father, we are thankful for why we've been put on this planet, to glorify you and to enjoy you. Lord, help us to live to how we were called, holy and separate and different. I thank you for the praises today. I pray that you will specially bless Dwayne and Fran as Michael and PK show up today for church. We pray for your wills to be done and and where they go to church. We thank you for where you brought them and where you're bringing them to. We give you praise for all these things. Uh, Lord, help us to live like a mercy people today and help it to reflect in how we live and how we think and how we affect other people around us being salt and light. Thank you for these dear friends and these your children. And, Lord, I thank you for who we are in Christ. In your name I pray. Amen.